Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Today is Thursday, the 24th of February, 2022. Um, It's a somber day. And mark it down, this is a day... It's a day that's going to live in infamy. I think it's fair to say that. The world has now changed in ways overnight. um, Like crossing a Rubicon from which we can now all not return. The Russian uh, president in a televised speech yesterday, actually earlier today, technically, um, said that he was ordering a special military operation in Ukraine. We now know what that means. Russia is in the midst of a full-scale military invasion of its western neighbor. Explosions reported in multiple cities in Ukraine, including Kiev. At least 40 people have been killed, according to the Ukrainian president, uh, Zelensky, who begged for peace in an internationally televised speech. He said Ukraine um, has now cut diplomatic ties with Russia, has declared martial law, is in a state of emergency. U.S. President Joe Biden said in a statement that he not only condemned this unprovoked and unjustified attack by Russian military forces, um, that he would be meeting with the G7 and allies to impose severe sanctions. And he also promised um, that the people of Ukraine could be assured of the prayers of the people of the United States of America include and 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 extension uh, by extension the the prayers of the people of the entire world. We're going to um, we're going to do that here this morning. We're going to make good on that promise. Um, I believe that today you are you and I are going to hear that the U.S. Congress is seriously considering a decision to. Upgrade U.S. military readiness. You will recall that um, during the o- Obama administration, the U.S. military was downgraded in terms of its readiness because we, uh, as a people, imagined we would never have to ever again in all of human history fight a two front war. Well, we have China to the east and we now have Russia to the east as well. I guess we have China to the west and we have Russia to the east, if you think about it. Um, we're not ready to fight a two-front war. We would not be able to. But we have NATO allies who are just beyond the borders of Ukraine. And that means that Russia will be on the doorstep of those NATO-allied countries in some short time. I don't know how short a time. And I believe that the people of Ukraine are going to fight But I do not believe they are going to stand down the Russian military. And we are committed as a NATO ally to absolutely show up and defend the sovereignty of the borders just beyond the borders of Ukraine. 
Is the U.S. military ready to fight on two fronts? No, we are not. And so I believe you're going to see the U.S. Congress move to pass trillions in new spending related to U.S. force readiness. When everybody wakes up to the reality that the world has changed in ways overnight that are like a brink from which we cannot return. The U.S. president assured the Ukrainian people of our prayers, and so let us be people who make good on that promise this morning. Let us pray. Oh God, we know you know. We know you see the bombs bursting in air. We know you see the frightened mothers and fathers huddled with their children in dark basements in what yesterday was a safe place to raise a family. We know you love each and every precious person on every side of this senseless war. We know you have the power even now to change human hearts and minds and human history. We know you hold the whole world in your hands. And, oh, God, we know you have given to man the freedom of the human will. We know war is a part of that. And so we would ask, holy God, that you would change the heart of Vladimir Putin. We also ask that by the power of your spirit, you would encourage President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people as they seek to defend themselves against invasion. In this moment, Lord God, people are afraid. And the relative peace that the world has enjoyed for the past 70 years is gone in a vapor. Help us, God. Help us make good on the promises our nation made to others to show forth that we are people of our word. Help us individually and corporately make the sacrifices necessary to live more simply that other people can simply live. Help us open our hearts and hands to share freely from the abundance of our blessings, every single one of it, which flows from your hands above to receive refugees or extend mercy and grace, whatever is necessary. Father, may we not grow weary in doing good, but pray ardently for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and be agents of it. All this we pray in the strong and saving name of Jesus who has overcome the world. Amen. Where in the word are you today? Let me encourage you. Today's a good day to reread Matthew 24 and 25. The world as we know it is no more. The world is now a fundamentally different place. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is the crossing of a Rubicon we cannot now uncross. The world is now a far less safe place. A place with fewer liberties. Abroad and yeah. Even here at home. So we're going to talk with Ben Johnson, the rights writer, about our rights and things going on here in the United States of America in terms of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right. Right, given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. 
joining us now, as he does every Thursday morning, Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. He's also the rights writer and joins us this morning to talk about some uh, freedom of speech and freedom of religion issues here in the United States of America. Ben, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you as always. It's a somber morning. It certainly is, and particularly uh, for for myself as someone who's uh, an Eastern Orthodox Christian, these are putatively two Orthodox nations attacking one another. So uh, you, know, you have you have uh, a vast number of believers, uh, you know, regardless of uh, you know their particular background and denomination. These are nations uh, which are full of Christian believers, and uh, that's going to mean brother against brother. It's going to mean Christian shedding their blood by at the hand of other Christians. And uh, this, as you mentioned, could easily escalate into the uh, ongoing, uh, in, uh, into the bordering nations. If it does so, then it's a, it's a massive concern. In fact, the uh, patriarch of uh, the Georgian Orthodox Church, uh, a little bit uh, after the invasion, uh, posted a tweet, a uh, very, very you know, succinct tweet, but he says the hostilities in Ukraine must be stopped as soon as possible. Otherwise, they will develop into a world tragedy. So uh, let's pray, as, as you did this morning, all of us to pray for an end to these hostilities. And you and I have read, um, you know, I think part of the challenge, Ben, is I've read the whole book. And so I do know that the day is coming, right, when hostilities will not cease until they ultimately cease. And I think that's part of the challenge. I have this, like conflicted approach to prayer um and and i like i recognize there's what's happening in the context of human history and i recognize there's a redemptive arc over all of human history and i don't i don't know exactly where we are in that arc um and so i pray for what i want which is peace in my day um, and yet, ultimately, I pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and I don't pretend to always know exactly how that works itself out. Right. Uh, and and you know, what our role should be uh, it, it, to the extent that we could even understand. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's very much for us uh, to say that uh, you know, Christ is, is the Prince of Peace. His, his normal will is uh, how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so uh, and that includes the entire human race. Uh, regardless of the, if they're Christian, but especially if they are members of the household of faith. So, uh, you know, to the extent that it's possible, we should live in peace with all men, especially those who are our fellow believers. And so that's that's what you know guides us in normal times. We do understand, as you say, that uh, there will come a time where uh, you know, ultimately there will be a final conflagration of of sorts, and uh, that will be the final can, uh, the final conflict, uh, at which time the Prince of Peace will establish the reign of peace throughout the entire world. And we as Christians, even in the midst of wars and tumults and rumors of wars, we live and dwell in that peace because we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the Prince of Peace. And so we have the peace of Christ shed abroad in our hearts, even as the world around us is exploding and tearing itself to bits. Amen. All right, Ben, hey, let's um, let's take a very, very brief uh, break. When we come back, I would love for you to brief us in on a Supreme Court case. The Supreme Court took up earlier this week the case of Lori Smith out of Colorado. Um, Ben is going to reflect on what that means, what that case is about, and how we we can be praying in relationship to it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. 
and this is Faith Radio. You say come to Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, media reporter from The Daily Wire. You can read what he's writing at dailywire.com. All right, Ben, I understand that the Supreme Court of the United States has taken up the case of Lori Smith. What is that case about? Well, Lori Smith is a web designer. She has a a business in Littleton, Colorado called 303 Creative. And she's a, a very devout Christian, as she proclaims on her website, she says that she does everything that she does for the glory of God. She would not take anything, uh, any kind of business that would conflict with that. In fact, her website says, quote, I am always careful to avoid communicating ideas or messages or promoting events, products, services, or organizations that are inconsistent with my religious beliefs, end quote. So that's, that is her perspective, that she is trying to baptize and glorify God in all that she's doing. So she's baptizing her work. Uh, and that includes uh, her creation of websites. A same-sex couple came to her and wanted her to design wedding announcements for their same-sex wedding, and she politely declined them. Uh, Of course, these services are available everywhere. However, the state of Colorado, as we know, uh, has been in the business of harassing Christians uh, who are in this situation. Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cakes is in one such uh, situation. He went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled in his favor, and then they brought him up on new charges. So uh, this is this is the next stage in that, that um, uh, because she refused to use her talents uh, in a way that would violate her faith, she is now being uh, being tried. So she's suing all the way to the Supreme Court saying, I have a right to use my talents however I see fit. But particularly the, the constitutional issue that's important here is, is this. It's something known as compelled speech. We all understand under the First Amendment, we have the right to say whatever we want to say, to speak our mind and to, to exercise our faith, to proselytize others, to take up controversial political positions. Whatever it is that we want to say, we have the right to say it. By the same token, we have the right not to say things we don't want to say. And to force someone to use their talents to take part in uh, a same-sex wedding is a form of compelled speech. That's the argument that she's making. So in other words, if someone holds a gun to your head and uh, and tells you you have to renounce Jesus Christ or I'll kill you, you have the right to speak and say, I glorify Jesus Christ. You have the right not to say anything. And in this case, she is choosing not to not to take part in a same-sex wedding to force her to use her talents to say this is a real wedding is a form of compelled speech and therefore violates the First Amendment. At least that's the case that she's making. And uh, we will find out uh, in June of uh, next year how that comes out. Lori Smith isn't uh, the only person um, who faces this kind of challenge. And so if you're looking to put people on your prayer list, certainly add Lori Smith. Um, But Elaine Photography and Sweet Cakes, they are out of business. Baronel Stutzman was forced to retire. Emily Carpenter is risking going to jail. Um, Bob Updegrove and Chelsea Nelson are in harm's way in much the same way that Lori Smith is. Jack Phillips is still in court. The list is pretty long of fellow Americans who also happen to be Christians um, who are fighting for their right to not be compelled by the government to do things um, in the course of their creative work that uh, that constitutes a violation of their uh, religious freedom and and their right to say what they want to say and not be compelled to say things they don't want to say. 
Um, so there you go. Good, good prayer list things. Tell us what's going on in California with doctors who do not want to aid in assisted suicide. Well, unfortunately, they're having a hard time right now. Of course, uh, assisted suicide was legalized in 2015 with uh, a law that was passed and signed by uh, then-Governor Jerry Brown, the End of Life Option Act. And it, it, part of the process is that they have to request patients who um, are ill have to request assisted suicide a couple of different times. And uh, under the current law, which um, it changed a little bit at the beginning of this year, the first line that they go through are the uh, the local nurses or uh, those who are caring for them. And the, what the Christians are saying is, we don't want to play any part whatsoever in anything that will bring an end to someone's life unnecessarily. We got into this in order to save and to heal people. And part of the Hippocratic Oath uh, says that I will not give poison to anyone to end their life. So this is not health care. Um, one of the first one of the things to which they object is the fact that since you have to make these two requests, they would have to document the request. They would have to determine whether the person has the mental capacity to make that request. So in other words, are they delirious? Uh, are they of sound mental faculties? And then they would have to pass that paperwork on and that would trigger the next round, which ultimately leads in assisted suicide. They say, we don't want to play any part in this. It violates our Christian faith. It violates the Hippocratic Oath. It violates in the entire raison d'etre of the entire U.S. healthcare system to preserve life. So it violates our faith, and we will not do so. So uh, thankfully, the Alliance Defending Freedom is defending those Christian healthcare providers in the state of California, and uh, we wish them every success in not only living out their own faith in their job, which, of course, relates to our previous discussion, but also to the preservation of life uh, across the board of all kinds, regardless of the faith of those whose lives may be saved. Everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. That's worth saving. It's worth preserving. That's why they became health care providers in the first place. It's a, an important conversation for us to not only be having at the national level and at the state level, it's a really important conversation for us to be having at the deeply personal level. Um, so if this is not a conversation that you have had with your loved ones, with your pastor, um, this is a conversation you need to have. Like we talk about life issues as if those are only in relationship to the, the, the protection and preservation of the preborn life within the womb. We talk about it in relationship to abortion, abortion access, abortion laws. Um, but this is actually the more um, consequential edge of the life conversation because lots and lots of Christians do not see it as wrong to bring an end to human life if, you know, if that life has become somehow less valuable or less productive, or we don't want to live in pain anymore, or we want to control when and how we die. Lots of Christians wanting to control when and how we die. And it's a, we have to have the conversation. I am pro-life from natural conception to natural death. Like that's my line. And so you have to know where you are as a pro-life individual. And this is a huge part of that conversation. Ben, we don't have time um, today to really talk through the impact of what happened in San Francisco and the recall of three board members there. I'm wondering if you can just tell us why you think it matters in terms of worldview. 
Uh, I think that it means a lot for us because it tells us that we have a lot more in common uh, than the media might otherwise tell us that we do. Uh, people everywhere, even in San Francisco, the bluest city, the bluest of blue cities, people love their children. They want what is best for their children. They want a good education. And when people uh, deprive them of that, then they will they will um, make their voices heard. They will assure that what is best for their children comes forward. That's an area where all of us can work together in policy, but also to realize that we have a lot in common as Americans. We all love our children. We all want what is best for them. And uh, what this tells us uh, in terms of worldview is that uh, there's a certain segment uh, of elite worldview that has lost sight of that. The vast majority of us have not. Exactly. All right. If you want to know more um, and find out what's going on in San Francisco, just Google San Francisco recall or school board. And these articles are going to pop up. Um, brief yourself in on this. Good, good content. Hey, uh, as always, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. We have more in common with one another than sometimes we consider. Um, We are all members of the human race. We are all image bearers of the living God. We talk a lot about our differences, and we talk a lot about um, even generational differences or the things that divide us as people. It's important every once in a while to remind ourselves that we can disagree without hating each other. We can Um, be part of different groups without villainizing uh, members of other groups. And so we're going to talk with Thaddeus um, Williams. He is a a professor at Biola. He also writes um, frequently. And so the pieces we're going to talk about today are actually posted at World News Group, um, which is WNG.org. Just give some thought to this. Just because I disagree with somebody, does that mean I have to hate them? Or just because somebody disagrees with me, does that mean they hate me? More on this up next. We are um, thrilled and privileged to be joined today by Dr. Thaddeus Williams. You can find him at ThaddeusWilliams.com. He teaches at Biola University in California. He's a professor of systematic theology for the Talbot School of Theology. Uh, He is also an author, and his latest book, which is Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice, is an official bestseller. So, Thaddeus, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen, and congratulations. Oh, thank you so much, Carmen. It's a joy to be with you. So I saw this piece that you wrote called Disagreement Equals Hate, question mark, uh, the false assumption sweeping the nation, posted at World Magazine. And I thought, you know what? I just, I want to talk about that. I want to know more about that. I want to have Thaddeus walk us through uh, that conversation. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it biblically, we are fallen, which means our feelings aren't perfect. Our hearts are jacked up. We need grace. We need redeeming love. The premises of society today is we're unfallen. 
you're perfect just as you are. And so if somebody doesn't accept, endorse, and celebrate everything you say about yourself, then the default explanation is you must be a hater, you must be a phobic, you must be a bigot. And that has really framed the conversations in our country about big questions like religious liberty, the definition of marriage, uh, abortion, socialism, capitalism, racism, gender, sexuality, transgenderism, that if you even question um, a certain narrative about those things, then the conversation stops because you're not even worth the conversation because clearly you're driven by hate and bigotry. When you think about the challenge that that poses to us, uh, you know, as a people, when you think about where that leaves me in terms of conversations with people with whom I have some points in agree- of agreement, but increasingly with people who I recognize there are differences between us. And so I don't even know how to find the places of common ground where I could start to build a relationship. I mean, that just seems as if we end up completely polarized. Yeah, but I do think there's hope. I think there's a few tactics through that. The first, which I guess tactic isn't quite the right word, but just just being genuinely kind and mm-hmm. genuinely loving people and getting to know them and not just treating them as project or, you know, an apologetic project or something like that. But I find in the context of a personal relationship where you ask people sincere questions and genuinely care about the answers makes it really hard for them to sustain the charge that you're motivated by nothing but hate and bigotry. I would add to that, that it's really helpful just to be able to explain the meaning of tolerance And so if I have to agree with you or use your pronoun or celebrate your where you fall on the LGBTQ plus alphabet um, in order to be tolerant, the truth is that's that makes tolerance impossible. So, for example, if I say, you know, In-N-Out is the best burger joint in California and you agree, then it's impossible for me to be tolerant of you because we agree and agreement is different than tolerance. But if you said, you know, five guys or McDonald's or the habit or some other burger joint now, precisely because we disagree, tolerance is possible right now. Now I can say, Hey, I, I can treat you with dignity and respect in spite of your tolerance for inferior burgers. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, the of true tolerance needs to be disagreement and respectful disagreement. And that's just something completely lost in this this polarized cultural moment. We're talking with Dr. Thaddeus Williams from Biola. We're talking about, among other things, a piece he has posted at the World News Group website, WNG.org. It's an opinion piece um, on the on the topic of disagreement and whether or not disagreement equals hate. Um, You also, Thaddeus, talk a lot about the way we think in terms of tribes. Describe to me or define for me tribe think and the impact or effects it has on our relationships. Yeah, great question. So if we hopped in a time machine and went back, say, 100 years, and you're having a conversation with somebody about the gospel, the kind of objections you would hear in sort of the modern era would be, well, I don't think it's true. And so you can have a 
conversation about the nature of truth. You could talk about um, objective evidence for God's existence. You could talk about a historic case for the resurrection. Well, fast forward um, 50 years to, to the middle of the 20th century, and modernism starts to give way to postmodernism. And postmodernism, if you start sharing Christianity, the objections would be less about, well, is it objectively true? And more, well, we just don't think it's tolerance because it claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I argue in, in my book, Confronting Injustice, that we have entered a new era, not modernity, not modernity, not postmodernity, but what we might call a post-postmodern era, where today people will reject Christianity based on, say, the gender of the person articulating it, uh, the skin tone. You know, if you're white and male, then your viewpoint is automatically <laughs> false. So, so we we've moved into an era of an identity politic style epistemology, and with that comes tribes thinking. And so tribes thinking means the entire world is best interpreted as either T, theocrats, you know, those Christians trying to cram their worldview down our throats through force of law, uh, or everything is R, racism, or I, Islamophobia, or B, bigotry, or E, you know, exploitation from the greedy capitalist fat cats, or S, sexism. And so the whole world should be interpreted as oppressors versus the oppressed. And you asked about, you know, what kind of effect does that have on us? Well, I've seen firsthand in students and in some friends and even some family members that once they start interpreting the whole world as a power play between the oppressed and the oppressors, mm. it it does a few things. Number one, it replaces the fruit of the spirit in their lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, replaces all that good stuff with suspicion and rage and self-righteousness and always assuming the worst of other people's motives. That's one effect of tribes thinking. Um, another one is you can't not see oppression or some microaggression in every encounter. And so the idea is if I'm a nail, then everything looks like a hammer to me. And so tribes thinking convinces a whole generation, you're a nail, everything is oppression. The cis-heteropatriarchal oppressors are out to get you. And man, I just, I see the effect that has on folks. And it's, it's just mean. At the, at the end of the day, it's just mean to convince people the whole world has conspired against them all the time. It's, it's not a recipe for... Um, joy or the other fruits of the Spirit. All right, we're talking with Dr. Thaddeus Williams. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to continue to till the soil about tribe think. Um, when you consider the way you view the world and everyone in it, have you bought into this idea that it really is just about those who are oppressed and those who are doing the oppressing? Or do you actually believe uh, the worldview presented in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and the redemptive uh, arc of history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. This is a kingdom. Heaven coming down to the corners of the earth. 
Continuing our conversation now with Dr. Thaddeus Williams from Biola University. Um, we're talking across a range of subject matters um, that Dr. Williams unpacks in Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, which is his latest book. One of the um, parts of that conversation comes down to this tribe think. And tribes is actually an acronym. And so when you think about the way you view the world and everyone in it or the issues and challenges that we face today, um, you know, have you sort of adopted a lens that fits one of these letters? Everybody is a theocrat or there is a theocratic way of viewing things or through the lens of race or through the lens of Islamophobia or bigotry. Or, or exploitation or sexism. Those are the T-R-I-B-E-S of tribes. Thaddeus, when you, um, when you talk about this, uh, in the back of my mind, I am wondering, is this what people mean when they use the term critical theory, and yet they don't necessarily know that this is how it works itself out in our relationships? Uh, yeah, the short answer is yes. I mean, if you, I've been reading the critical theorists and critical race theorists and uh, queer critical theorists for years and years, and the way they they cash out oppression is along one of those axes, uh, along mm. one of those categories. And, and the thing that fascinates me about that, Carmen, is here, here you have people um, who market themselves as being anti-oppression. We, we are on the side of the oppressed. But in, in tribes thinking, you know, the, what, six areas that are allowed to count as real oppression, think of all the people who are genuinely oppressed who get left out of that grid. So, so think of, um, you know, the abortion industry. You have some recent studies show that women who seek abortions 64% said they were pressured by others. Over half thought abortion was morally wrong. Less than 1% said they felt better about themselves. 80% felt guilt. 60% felt um, that part of them died. 81% uh, were at increased risk for mental health problems. So if our pursuit of justice doesn't include the women exploited by the abortion industry, then we aren't really doing justice or take abortion itself, the leading cause of death worldwide. You have 42 million victims a year in places like Iceland. The genocide of infants with Down syndrome, of, mm. of preborn human image bearers of God with Down syndrome approaches 100%. It's almost 90% in America. If our in China, sex selective abortion, you're female, you don't deserve life, um, has cost more female tiny image bearers of God than the entire female population of the United States. In cities like New York, more black babies are aborted than are born. You won't hear any of this in critical theory. And we're talking about massive, massive oppression. You won't hear about the $97 billion pornography industry that has been linked to 624,000 child porn traders in the U.S. alone. You won't hear about the fact that right now, according to Newsweek, more Christians are being persecuted than at any time in history. You won't hear about the victims of socialist regimes around the world. So, so my point is, tribes thinking pretends to be inclusive, 
But when you read critical theory literature, it's very exclusive. It'll include, you know, victims of racism, which as Christians we should care about, victims of sexism, which we should care about. But it is actually on the wrong side of history when it comes to all these other gross forms of oppression in our day. I think that your observation that tribes thinking pretends to be inclusive but is ultimately very exclusive is is an observation that is helpful for us when we're trying to pause long enough to consider what someone is saying and we know that what they are saying is not right but we yeah. don't necessarily know why it's wrong um i think that that's one of the gifts you give us um, in in your book, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, you help us ask the right questions about social justice, and you also get us to the place where we can see and understand what Jesus actually teaches about justice. So can you um, give us a, a summary of that to remind people about the conversation that you're having in that book? Sure. Well, let me highlight one very down-to-earth way to show the exclusiveness or the exclusion of, again, what markets itself as being such an inclusive movement. Um, you and I are having a conversation, Carmen, and if I say, hey, I, I would prefer that you address me as um, Thaddeus J. Williams' adopted child of the one true God, um, or if you asked me to do the same, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I, I believe that's true of you. I believe that's true of me. We're both Christians. And so, you know, no qualms there. But if I'm talking to a Muslim, if I'm talking to an atheist, if I'm talking to a Buddhist, and I say, you need to use my uh, form of address, address me as Thaddeus J. Williams, adopted son of the only true God. Now, all of a sudden, I'm resorting to worldview bullying. I'm, I'm forcing words out of their mouth that don't comport with their own worldview. I'm, it's, it's a pretty shady, um, subversive way um, to get people to agree with me in the way they address me. Well, the same thing is happening right now in the pronoun controversy. There's only certain worldviews, certain non-Christian worldviews, like queer critical theory, for example, of Judith Butler and others, in which the claim, I am a male, even though biologically every cell in my body is encoded with the double X chromosome, there's only certain worldviews in which I can declare my gender in spite of my biology. And so behind this seeming tolerant request is actually a a form of worldview bullying. You must accept worldview presuppositions that do not fit with Christianity. Otherwise, we will label you a bigot, a hater, or a phobic. And, and as Christians, we just can't play along with that game. And so in the book, I, I asked 12 questions that in this cultural moment, we need to take seriously. Because the fact is, you know, I've been all around the country in the last year for this book, teaching it at churches all around. And it, social justice questions are splitting churches all around the country. And sadly, what's happening is Christians are taking their cues from the polarized cultural moment and saying, well, you know, you think racism is still a problem. 
therefore you must be a critical race theorist, you know, far lefty Marxist. And on the other side, somebody says, well, maybe this or that isn't racism. Well, clearly you're the grand wizard of the KKK. You're some alt-right neo-Nazi. And, and I'm only slightly embellishing. This is the way these conversations or shouting matches are happening. So what I'm really up to in the book is to say, look, instead of taking our cues from the culture, let's get back to scripture. Let's define justice from the scriptures. God doesn't suggest he commands that we do justice. Well, what does he mean by that? And what does it look like in the 21st century? It's just, it's fantastic, and it's so helpful. The book is Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. Dr. Thaddeus J. Williams is the author. You can find him online at ThaddeusWilliams.com. Hey, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time today. You're very welcome, Carmen. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. While we've been talking this morning, additional cities in Ukraine have um, been under aerial attack by the Russian military. Um, planes are in the air. Helicopters attack helicopters. Um, the, the tracer lines from them. It looks like a movie, but it's not. It's happening in real time, in real life, to real people in a real place. So let's be praying the news this morning in relationship to that. Uh, four NATO member states, Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, have triggered Article 4 of um, of the NATO conventions. Uh, and what that means is that NATO will hold an emergency session as those Baltic nations and Poland, which border Russia, um, have... Uh, have said, we're afraid. We feel that our territorial integrity is under threat. Um, And so they are, um, as members of NATO, uh, you know, they're privileged to hold consultations with the full, um, with the full range of countries involved in NATO, which certainly includes the United States. So that is happening. I know that um, I sound I sound sober and concerned, and that's because I am. I am sober and I am concerned. I do believe that Russians, Russia's invasion of Ukraine changes things dramatically. This is not just another headline on just another day. Um, and I know that we hear about wars and rumors of wars every day all around the globe. And so you're saying to yourself, why does Carmen think this one is so much more consequential than the conversations that we've been having for decades about, let's say, um, Syria or Afghanistan. You know, why is Carmen not as concerned about uh, two nations in Africa that would be warring with one another? And it's because we're talking here about um, a peace that has been in place since the end of World War II, a peace which we helped bring about, um, and a a war that was ended— in a nuclear conflict. And when Russia threatens us um, to do something that has never happened in history, should we do anything to help Ukraine? Um, I think with sober judgment, we have to recognize that that's exactly what they mean. So do I think we live in a different world today than we lived in yesterday? Yeah, I do. 
I think we live in a substantially different world than the one we lived in yesterday. Um, and so I think that it's with sobriety that we approach our prayers, that we come before the Lord our God, that we appeal for discernment. We need to be a people who are discerning of the days in which we live so that we might be able to reflect to others, project to others, demonstrate to others, speak to others the reality of a God who is good, who does indeed have the whole world in his hands, and yes, uh, who has a redemptive plan for human history. Now would be a good time to talk with people who thought that the world was in their hands, that their future was under their control, that life was going to, you know, turn out exactly as they have planned um, and that everything is going to happen according to their timeline. That's just not how things work. And so today is a good reality check. And so for folks who've lost touch with reality, those of us who are in touch with reality in a restored relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, Today's a really good day to listen to other people, find out where they are, and then speak reality into their lives. There's real hope. It is substantial. It never fades. It cannot be blown apart even by uh, a world at war. And we are the people who are going to speak the peace of the mind of Christ. Not just to, not just giving people a peace of our mind today, but speaking the peace of the very mind of Christ into the matters of our day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.